today on This Christian Life. I get to marry the only girlfriend I ever had, ever. I met her in the eighth grade. We met with one of those, do you like me letters? Uh, check yes or no. I sent 17 of them out, but I got one back from her, Carol. She said yes. And we went together for almost six months before I talked to her, because I didn't want to spit on her. I would just like wave at her in the hall. The night I got beat up really bad by my parents, I called her. She was 16, less than 100 pounds, and she came over and she stood up to my parents. I never seen anybody do that. Uh, she took me away from them, and she was just awesome. That's our guest, Stephen Bergazzi, one of the best magicians and comedians in the world. He knows how to make almost anyone laugh and almost anything disappear. But there was a time when he wanted to make his parents disappear forever. And if not his family, then he would try it on himself. There was me and another guy doing the show, and this guy quit. We only had like a month or so left in the season. And I had to do all the shows, seven shows a day, all day, 11 days a week. And I hated it. I just got so tired. And back then, they would drop kids off. You know, you were babysitting. And parents went to work and came back and picked them up. And so they would come to your shows and yell at you all the time. I, I decided I wanted to quit. And I went in there and said, I can't do this. I quit. And uh, the guy goes, well, look at this. It's a contract. You know what that means? You can't quit. So I went home, and I almost cried. This guy won't let me quit. And my wife goes, well, just get him to fire you. And I thought, she's a genius. And so I go, well, how can I get him to fire me? I'll be mean to kids. And I said, I'll just be mean to them, and they're doing it. And uh, I had this trick, so when a kid pulled a thing on a box, the box broke, but the silk would be in there. Right between me was a log flume, and when the log came down in the end, it would throw a bunch of water on the bridge, but some water came in between on a big rock. So I would blindfold this kid and climb over the fence, because I could time, I knew when the boat made the first turn. If I put that kid on that rock, I could go over here, make the handkerchief disappear, and you go like, there it goes. When everybody looked, about 10,000 gallons of water would hit this kid. And he would go flying down in the grass, and he'd break my box. <laughs> and I'd be yelling at him, going, what are you doing? It just became such a funny show, and me being mean to the kids. What people didn't know is I can't be mean. I love kids. I like people. Kids know it. It's play. Every morning, these kids would come to my show begging to be that kid. I want to be the one. And so I'd just tell them what time to show up, and they would be so scared over there, they never knew when the water was going to hit them. But it just became a great show, but it changed who I was. I was always a really nice kind of a guy. And then I became a smart alley, and then I started doing different clown stuff. So I just started doing that kind of thing. A mean magician filled with love that made their world seem like magic. But sadly, his childhood did not have the same love. When I was real little, my dad took me to a bone alley and was going to put me in the nursery. He was an alcoholic and, and had problems, struggled with all that. He was injured in Korea. and I used to think he drank because he lost his eye, left eye. But I found out later his family had alcoholism. There's alcoholism in our family. And I didn't know none of that. I just thought he just drank. But he just put me in a bowling alley, and this bowling alley had two doors. Both of them was unlocked. One should have been locked. This is where the guard dogs were. He just opened the door and put me in there, and he went off. I don't remember, but I was attacked by a bulldog, and he tore, like, from my nose to my mouth. 
and uh, took part of my jaw. I had over 350 stitches total in my face. I had six and a half years of reconstruction, plastic surgery, the kind that makes you real, real, real handsome. They did a great job. I always say reconstruction is when they take skin from the other parts of your body and they rebuild your face. And most of my face is my butt. But it looks really good. I just have bad breath a lot because it's my butt. You may have noticed Steve has the uncanny ability to direct your attention away from the darker parts of life and instead focus on the bright side. Because what can be meant for evil can often be used for something good. I grew up Roman Catholic, and I went to Catholic schools. As a Catholic, you have to get a confirmation name. You, you get an adopt another name, and it's from the Bible. And I remember when it happened, most of the time your parents or somebody works with you and they help you do all that, but mine, they just wasn't really involved in my life. And so I show up and the day, I'm going to go see the bishop, and I got to have a name and from the Bible. And the only name I knew was Jesus, and I didn't think they were going to let me have that one. So I started to panic. And there was this one kid there that always picked on me and stuff. And I remember looking up and the sister said, you gotta have a name. And I'm looking around and there was, of course, they had statues in the church. And I said, I'll be Joseph. The kid goes, oh, you're just stupid. You just said that because of that statue. So he's always there to let me know how dumb I was. And this little nun goes, you know what? There's more than one Joseph in the Bible. And I go, yeah, I was thinking of the other one. And that's the one who I wanted to be. And little did I know, that in so many ways my life was like Joseph. With the family and being ejected, later being brought back in, God knew at that very moment when I just said, yeah, yeah, Joseph. It just showed me from that time on, God was always there and that was it. Steve can say that now, looking back. But at that time, his childhood was painful, really painful. My parents were both broken. They had so much trouble of their own, and, and when you're a kid, you don't understand and know all of that. You just have all the struggles and, and trouble. I was very much rejected by my family. I was told my brothers and sisters didn't like me. I used to say uh, an abusive family, because there was some abuse there physically and mentally and everything. But as I get older, I see it was just very dysfunctional. I remember... I didn't get anything for Christmas. We, we did Christmas on Christmas Eve, and I had to be at the church the next morning for being an altar boy, and there were just no gifts. My name was never called out, and I never got a single gift. But my grandmother had come over and bought cupcakes, and I remember taking that cupcake and taking it to the church and left my cupcake on the altar, you know, because it was his birthday, and... I mean, when I look back, I go, I know I felt his love, even back then, without knowing. I always had a love for God, even though I didn't understand everything as a kid. I got in trouble a lot, and then in the Catholic Church, you had to be an altar boy. In your trouble, you had to be an altar boy for the nuns, and I was an altar boy for the nuns a lot. And so I had some great nuns and great priests in my life. I really, really did. That They kind of knew my situation, and they kind of took care of me. And so I just always kind of hung out. There were some really dark days in my life that was kind of going on. I had gotten in trouble with my parents, and I had gotten beat up where I had to have surgery and stuff from just fighting with my mom and dad. And I just hated life. I hated people. And uh, there was even a time in high school where I tried to take my life. And I just felt like 
this is it. You know, if this is what my life is going to be, I don't want it. And I was willing to walk away from it all. Eventually, I got sent to the public schools. I was put in special ed because I talked funny and I struggled in school and stuff like that. My brothers and sisters were very smart. I was not because I wouldn't speak in class. I wouldn't talk. When I was young, my speech was way different. I stuttered. I stammered. I spit. So I was that kid that everybody laughed at. So I just didn't talk much or get involved in school. That funny-looking kid who makes everyone laugh? You don't know what he's been through. That pretty girl in high school who never smiled, maybe she wasn't actually stuck up. Maybe she was afraid to be friendly. Every person's story has a story that precedes it. When Stephen left home, he thought the violence there would stop. I ran away, started running away when I was 13, and I would stay gone for weeks and sometimes a month. But the last time I was 17 is when I actually left. And I, I kind of was just going to be gone a couple weeks, like I always did. I'd just go somewhere and stay with friends and people. And when I got home, all my clothes were in a garbage bag in the backyard. And my mom said, you're done. I'm done with you. I don't ever need to see you again. I always had people looking out for me. People would eat and just leave their food on the table. I just would watch people and say, he's not eating all that chicken. And I'd go eat people's trash. I was always a likable person, I don't know why, but the managers would get to know me and at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he would say, hey, I'm gonna have some chicken left over, come by tonight, and he would give me a bucket of chicken. I still love Kentucky Fried Chicken to this day. When I ran away, I thought I was the problem. I didn't realize that my mom had serious problems, and she turned on Cindy way worse than she ever did on me. The things she did to her, Cindy lived through so much worse. And then she went through all of my brothers and sisters. I'm going to tell you, my youngest sister was 14 when she got pregnant, and they made her marry the guy. He was 20, and he beat her up. And she went through all of this stuff. She's been married three times. All of them are alcoholics. And the one she got now, is he's a recovering alcoholic, and he's doing really good and good for him. But, you know, she's lived such a tough life because of all of that. Uh, I did have hatred for my mom because of the stuff. I just had so much anger built up and stuff in me. And I remember there was no love in our home growing up. I never went around them, you know, because I thought they all hated me. We had a big picture made of our family, and I'm not in that picture. My mom didn't include me in the picture, but it's our whole family in it. But I went down, and any pictures that had me in them, I cut them out or scraped or tore them up. I took the easiest road out. I overdosed uh, on drugs. This roommate came in and he found me. He got me to a hospital and they popped my stomach and I was put in a kind of a mental place. God was so much there in that day and that night. I've always felt his presence. This took me a while to really understand. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Psalms 40, 1 through 2. Not long after that, my cousin showed up, Ron Bargatze, and he was a coach here in Nashville, and he's the reason why I ended up coming here. I just ended up coming home with Ronnie, and that was the first thing when I was really around someone that called himself a Christian. You know, I never met a man or anybody that said they were Christian, and if so, what does that mean? And so I was watching him, and just seeing the things 
that he did that I got to playing a little softball and, and I met a guy named Dave Givens and he had a church and then he says, we got a softball team, come try it out. And then after I, I played, they liked me and they go, well, you can play, but you got to come to church at least once a month. Well, then the better I got, the more they would increase. No, you need to come more. So I said, all right, I'll do whatever they tell me to do. But uh, then a, a movie came out, Jesus Christ Superstar. Some buddies made me go and I just loved the music. And I thought, I like Jesus now. He can sing. He had a really good voice. And so I was always open to that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Ronnie wanted me to go to school. It took almost six years to get me where I could go to a college. So now I'm in a Nazarene college. Trevecker was fantastic for me. I was in chapel all the time and I was around Christians. You would think it would sink into me what grace really is. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. You know, Paul says that we work out our salvation, but I had such a hard time with grace. And I guess I compared it to my father too much. I had a hard time knowing that he would take me exactly the way that I am. You know, I, I knew what it meant to be I'm just saved by grace, not works. I, I said, yeah, I agree. I better be good. Many I mean, I sold drugs. I did horrible stuff growing up as a kid. When you don't have an earthly father, I guess, and you find out about the heavenly father, I just still kept thinking, God loves me, but he's got an eraser. And he's ready to erase my name if I screw something up. And that's not what grace is. My father died at a bowling alley. I found out at my dad's funeral that my dad called Ronnie, and I would have never believed that because I thought my dad could care less about me. I never had a conversation with him. I can't ever remember, never asked him anything. I mean, I didn't ask how he lost his eye. I mean, how do you not ask that question as a little boy? I just, I was kind of afraid of him and just kind of stayed out of his way and just didn't know. In the meanwhile, my sister Cindy has become a Christian. So she had just talked to him about God, and he didn't make a decision, but he heard the gospel from her. And then within two days, he passed out on the Bowling Alley Lane, and God put a priest next to him. And the priest had about 10 minutes with my father and talked to my father, you know, giving him a chance. Maybe something he didn't deserve, but to show him mercy. And my mother, that has he used me and my sister to be able to talk to him. I almost didn't go home, but I just, you know, I wanted to go home. I hadn't seen my brothers and sisters much at all, and so I went home for the funeral. God used that so much because I met family members I didn't know. I met other people and that told me stories about my dad that I never knew. And my grandmother gave me letters that my father wrote her when he was in Korea about him marrying my mom. And I found out that my mom went through something horrible in high school. It was horrible, and it would be in the news for months. Back in those days, you didn't talk about things. You had to disappear, and that's why she went and hid. She got really, really angry when she found out that I knew, and she was so afraid I'd tell her secret to my brothers and sisters. None of them know knew at that time. Only I knew, and it, it just made things so much worse. So I went most of my life rarely ever seeing my mom, and if I did, I couldn't be around her very long. She would always make an excuse to leave or for me to leave. That even when she was placed in the nursing home, I would drive and try to go by and see her. 
I couldn't stay more than five, six, ten minutes at the most. She would say, okay, I got to go do this. And she was just getting rid of me. And, and we just was never comfortable around each other. I just thought she was very lonely and just didn't like people. And me the most. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you, says the Lord. In the meanwhile, COVID comes, and then my sister calls me, and my mom was in a nursing home by herself, and she fell and broke a little bone in her leg or foot or something, so they took her to the hospital. But when they brought her back, they put her in the COVID ward. They were putting people sick with COVID in the nursing home. So they put her down with the COVID people. But my sister called me and said, you need to go see mom and maybe get things right. And the only thing I could tell her was, mom, I need you to forgive me. I'm so sorry. I was not the kid she needed. I made her life so tough. She didn't grow up not knowing God. She had so many bad things happen in her life. And just, just a tough, tough life. And then she has me as a kid. She didn't make me do those things. I'm the one that did those things. I'm the one that didn't go to class. I'm the one that didn't try out things. I'm the one that got in trouble or hung out with punks and thugs. I stole a car once. I did that. She didn't make me do that. I might blame her. And I wanted to blame her so much in my life for her. Anything that went wrong, I said, just because my parents were terrible. And I never realized what I did to her. How hard I made her life. And I just wanted to ask her to forgive me. And she was so scared. She couldn't talk. She was hooked up to all the stuff. She could talk with her eyes. and She could move her head. And I told her not to be scared. That you can be with God when you wake up. That you don't have to have that fear. And I said, we have all eternity to get to know each other. Because I'm going to heaven. So I prayed with her, and as far as I can tell, you know, she was nodding her head, yes, Mom, I said, we're sinners, and we need new forgiveness, and God forgiving you for anything and everything, and please forgive me, and I forgive you. And the next day, my sister went up, and she did the same thing. I was asked to do the funeral. Like one kid she didn't like. <laughs> you know, before all of that, I would have never volunteered to speak at her funeral. I started off with... Grace is getting something you don't deserve, but mercy is not getting what I do deserve. That's the message of my family. That's the message of me and my mom, that we need grace, but we both need mercy. We're not to get what we deserve out of the things that we live. And I started off with John 8, 1 through 11, and I just said, I will cast no stones today, for who am I but a sinner who's fallen short? As a son, a husband, a parent, a grandfather, a Christ follower, Like my mom, I stand here in the same need of grace and mercy. And in Revelations, it says, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone hears my voice, I will open the door and I will come in and eat with him and eat with me. By the grace of God and the mercy of God, that my mom, who lived a life that never knew him, that never did anything, that went through all the junk she went through in her life, she's going to be there. If she accepted and prayed that prayer, as far as I know she did, I will know the day because she'll be there. That's what mercy is all about. And I told my family that we don't need to wait till your deathbed to make that decision to follow Christ. I said that we are the living testimonies of my mom's life. 
and that we saw in her pictures of her early life that she had things that she did. She had friends and a life that we didn't really know about. But we got to be the fruit tree that bears, that we have to bear good fruit. And we do. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Derek was a missionary in Uganda. He has four kids, but they're home. They came home in cohort and all that, and they're still here. He works in a little school over here. And my daughter was a nurse, and she just left a couple months ago. She's working with Nate now. So Nate's taking care of her, which is awesome. He's a comedian. He has a Netflix show, but he's a clean comedian. So he said he did every show thinking that my mom and dad could be out there somewhere. And that's a good attitude to have in comedy. And, uh, but he went to New York, and Jimmy Fallon found him, and he's selling out theaters everywhere in the world now, and he's doing great. God has blessed us so much with Nate. Nate always was a funny kid. You know, Nathan does comedy, and that's what I do. Derek does missions. That's what I wanted to do. Abigail worked for uh, soldiers, and I worked for the Armed Forces Entertainment and done that, and Nate, and we've all done that. So what father can't look back and go, I would go into the same business. I could have been just as happy in any one of their lives. God knew that day in that church when I picked that name Joseph, not knowing who even who he was. Yet I would live a life rejected by my family, that I would be the one that God would use at my mom's funeral to speak her eulogy. I had to wait till I was 65. I had to wait for that appointed time that God would put me there next to her in her bed. When we are in the midst of trials, it's hard to see how any good can come of them. But God can use them for mending relationships, witnessing to others, and sometimes even magic careers. I was beaten for being left-handed. If they caught you using, you'd have to hold your hand out and they'd hit you with a yardstick 10 times on on your knuckles. Later on in my life, I won a North American International Brother of Magician World Championship in close-up magic and doing sleight of hand. And the following year, I got to be a judge since I was an ex-champion. And when I was being a judge, the other judge next to me, you had to sign a waiver that when you came in saying, these are your tricks, you're not taking other people's tricks, and they can film you. So he told me, he goes, look over the guy, watch him sign. And so I did. I didn't know what was going on. And he signed his name, and he goes, well, now you know if he's right or left-handed. So if you're going to judge him, you won't be fooled so bad because you know which hand to look at. I thought, aha. Then I thought, those little nuns made me a world champion because I do all trickery, and anything I do with magic is left-handed. But anything a nun can see, I do right-handed. I can see God was in my life going all the way up to what he is now. It's just an amazing God that we have. That You don't have to have necessarily that relationship with him all the time, that, that meaning that he's left you or he's not there. And there was times where I, you know, I didn't know well enough to know if he was there or not. But uh, I know now he's always been there. God has always been there in our lives. God is always there in the joy, in the laughter, but also in the pain and in the suffering. God is there through it all. He forgives both the abused and the abuser, if only they ask. 
He can take what people do out of evil and use it for good, just like Joseph in the Bible, just like Stephen in our story today. You may not always understand what's going on in your life, but you can always be confident in one very important fact. God loves you. God loves you, even in the suffering, because Jesus loved you so much to suffer and die for you. Romans 8.35 asks a very important question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is always there loving you through the ups and downs of this Christian life. This Christian Life is a production of Family Stations Incorporated and is not affiliated with Christian Life Magazine or Plus Communications Incorporated. Family Radio.